Well, it's good to see each and every one of you here this evening. As the uh, pastor said, I am David Walden, uh, pastor of the Roswell Baptist Church, have for almost 10 years now, and uh, very thankful for the opportunity tonight uh, to just be able to preach. I, that's one thing I enjoy doing. I love doing me and my wife the other, oh, what was it, on July 4th, we have in Roswell, you kind of come off the Cap Rock and down into the river, and uh, we got up on top of that Cap Rock and stood on the edge and brought my old truck out there and set up some lawn chairs in the back of the truck and just watched all the fireworks take place. And just asking each other questions, she has this weird thing where she gets on her phone and finds a list of questions that always end up in an argument at the end from the answers that come from them. It's not a benefit to our marriage, and I've tried to tell her this many times, but it doesn't make a difference. But anyway, she, uh, one of the questions was, what are the top ten things are your favorite things uh, whether it's an object or a thing that you like to do. And, and I, I came to it, and, and I've got a lot of things. I'm a gearhead. I, I love old cars, love trucks, and things like that. But I came down to just thinking to myself in that moment, what is a, what is a favorite thing that I love to do? And I, I undoubtedly it is this, preaching God's Word. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity and, and, and just even, uh, even just thankful for you doing uh, what I've thought about doing for many, many years, a family month and, and moving the service, and that's uh, super neat, and uh, enjoy that. And so I just simply hope this evening that uh, just to be a, a blessing to you, um, I, I found this to be true in just my short time of ministry, that everything is built from the family. And that's where it all starts. And... Uh, so I hope to just be a blessing. Now, if you will grab your Bibles, Genesis chapter number 25, Genesis chapter number 25 this evening. Entitled the message this, don't give up what you want most for what you want in the moment. Don't give up what you want most for what you want in the moment. Genesis chapter 25, I don't know, is it your custom to stand as you read God's word? If you will, join with me this evening. Genesis chapter 25, join with me, verse number 19, and we're going to read down to the end of the chapter. The Bible says this, and these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40, <clears throat> excuse me, 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah was, or excuse me, his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. And after that came, out, or came his brother out. And his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. 
And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with this same red pottage. For I am faint, therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, you know what, bud? Why don't you sell me your birthright? Let's make a deal. Let's make a trade here. You've got something I want. I've got something you want. Have you ever, have you ever heard something like that? You ever made that kind of a deal? Possibly. Sell me that birthright. Or sell me this day thy birthright. Verse 32. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. Now I just have this feeling that Esau was being a little dramatic. I'll explain it here as we get on a little further. But he says, Behold, I'm at the point to die, and, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage and lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Don't give up what you want most for what you want in the moment. Father, as we come to you tonight, we are very thankful, very grateful for who you are. And Lord, even as we just heard in a, a wonderful song, that through your death, I no longer have to die no more. And Lord, we want to thank you for thy great salvation that you provided for us through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. And Father, I just pray tonight that as we would just open your word and and walk through some of these verses that, Father, your word would have its intended effect upon our hearts to change us and to conform us into your image. Father, help me tonight to preach. And Father, we'll thank you for it. It's in your precious, in your holy name that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. How many, I recognize the country I'm in. Roswell is very similar to Midland in that I, I, I'm, we are kind of right on the edge of the, the oil and a natural gas field. And so a lot of our country is a very similar to you. A lot of the people, very similar. And so I think I'm, I'm in common company when I mention this four-letter acronym. Most of you probably know what it is, O-S-H-A. They call it OSHA. If you didn't know what it was, OSHA, it is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. It is, was started, if you didn't, if I can give you a little history here, I'm not preaching on OSHA, don't worry. But uh, it started in 1971 by President Richard Nixon and was, or, or was presented by him, but it was created by Congress. And it is a large regulatory agency of the United States Department of Labor that has federal powers to inspect workplaces and, and simply just to make sure that it's up to par. Now, personally, I, you may think different. I think it's another overreach of government, but whatever. But what their, their primary goal, and I, and I think this would be true of almost every single organization, most of them start well-intended or with good intentions, and you leave it to man, and it's not too long after it began that it begins to decline rapidly. 
And so as I think about that, I was thinking about this because I grew up in construction. My dad was an electrical contractor, owned his own business for many, many years. And so I grew up in the construction field. And then when I graduated high school, I went to college and, and just through some different circumstances left and got on with the uh, Ames Construction, which at that time had basically a monopoly on all the railroad contracts for the dirt work and preparation for the tracking of railroads. And so I worked for Ames Construction in the Abo Canyon, kind of in central New Mexico, and and we did all the blasting, all the dirt work, heavy equipment, concrete, things like that. So I was involved in all of that. And every single morning at 6 a.m., we would have a, a safety meeting. And we'd have to show up. And if you did not show up for a safety meeting, you did not get to go on the job site that day. And they would check a lot of times. You would line up when you're coming into the safety meeting. And they would check your hard hat, your what they call PPE or personal protection equipment. If you had your safety vest on, were you wearing steel toe shoes? Composite shoes were, or composite toes were not accepted. And so there was all these different uh, safety regulations that we had to follow. A lot of them were from OSHA. And then also we had to do what was called OSHA 12 classes, where we'd have to go and we'd have to sit down for basically a 12-hour class uh, for several days during the week to learn about all these safety regulations uh, that were presented on the workplace so that we could have a safe work environment. And, and the reason I think a lot of these came into play was because of accidents that happened on the job. And simply the accidents that happened on the job much of the time were because people did not take what they were doing seriously. The area, and I grew up in, in Estancia, New Mexico, was a little bitty rural community and uh, primarily farming. One of the, at one time in the 40s and 50s, it was the pinto bean capital of the world. So a lot of farming, alfalfa, pumpkins, uh, uh, corn, and then also it is a huge ranching community as well. Uh, probably hundreds of thousands of head of, of, of namely black Angus that were grown in that, uh, in that valley. And so I, I grew up understanding what safety was just simply from being around heavy equipment and, and large animals. If you don't take it seriously, it's not just a bruise on the shin. A lot of times it's the loss of a hand. I, I, just for a quick illustration, uh, we had a, a good time growing up and I was quite crazy as a country boy. And so what we did, I, we had an old 66 Ford pickup uh, that was long gone to the junkyard, but I salvaged the hood off of it because the shape of a 66 Ford hood makes the perfect sled if you turn it upside down, attach a rope to it and pull it behind your truck. You can cruise down dirt roads on snow and it is absolutely fun telling you friends so me and buddies we had uh, school was out we got too much snow and we were actually supposed to have basketball practice but the coach made it optional for some reason that day and he really thought we were going to show up that day I don't know what he was thinking but anyway we thought hey let's go <laughs> let's go sledding and so we tied up the the hood uh, to my truck and went ripping down the road and and I never let anybody drive and finally my buddy talked to me I said, oh, all right go ahead and so I jumped on that old hood, and, and I was sat down on there, and what does he do? He runs me right into the ditch, right into a tree. And uh, when we hit the tree, I went over the sled like that and uh, basically peeled all the flesh from this right-hand thumb, almost ripped that thumb completely off. But it was really cool at that time because it cut all the nerves, so I couldn't feel anything. And so you could see the, the inner workings of the body. <laughs> And, uh, and so little mistakes, if you don't take things seriously, can cost you big. 
I remember sitting in a safety meeting one morning in the, in the canyon there where we were working and they were explaining a story of a young man, 22 years old, who was a belly dump driver and he went to clean out his belly dump at the yard and he opened the belly dump and he jumped in and got a shovel and began to chip out all the, the rock that was left in there and he forgot, or let me put it this way, he didn't take his job seriously enough and he forgot to put the safety pins in the belly dump and the hydraulic line popped off and pinched him off right at the waist. Another young man that was 25 years old, about two weeks later, he was a, he was a, a, a CDL driver and he was riding, uh, driving a low boy hauling an excavator and was told, do not go through gate one because there's tracks there. Your, your truck will not make it over those tracks. Please go to gate two. Well, he was running about 20 minutes behind and so I thought, you know what, I can make it. They don't know what they're talking about. And he got hung up on the tracks right as soon as the train was coming by and lost his life. And I, and I don't present these stories just to give you some cool stories, but to simply illustrate this fact that if you don't take things seriously, sometimes those things can cost you far more than you ever want to pay. And, and, I'm, and, and it's surprising, and really even we think about it this way, when we don't think, take things seriously. Now I know there's a time to have fun and we don't have to take everything seriously all the time. I, I understand that. But I think it's fair to say this, there is a time for play, but there is also a time for work. And there is a time when we need to take things seriously. And I, and I think of the family, how vital the family is when it comes to the work of God. Because what we see today pictured in society, pictured in our culture, is a complete lack and disregard of the biblical model of what a family ought to look like. That is, one man for one life for one life. And with those children, they get to see that, that, that role that, uh, of a godly mother and a godly father, and they grow up together, and, and, and they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I had some of what I would consider, and I'm probably partial, some of the best parents, I think. But I can stand here this evening and tell you this, they were not perfect. But they did their best with the knowledge they had at that specific time. And as they gained knowledge, they did a little bit more. And as they gained knowledge, they did a little bit more. And they did what they could with, or with what information, if you will, they had during those times in their life. And I'm very grateful for it. But it seems to me like so many today give up what they want most, which is a biblical picture of marriage, a biblical picture of family for what they want in the moment, and they sacrifice all of that. See, those are just a few of the thousands of the illustrations that I could give in the secular world concerning people not taking things seriously or taking safety seriously. But today I want to talk about something that really we make in similar mistakes of not taking life and self seriously or not taking scripture seriously. And this mistake that costs us way more than we're willing to pay. We're in Genesis 25. We read the account. Many of you are very familiar with this family. Very familiar with the family. The thing is this. Two years ago, I had the occasion to preach the, the book of, of Genesis, and I've come to this conclusion that the, most of the fathers you see in the book of Genesis are not the fathers that you really want to follow their example. 
Now, I'm not trying to say that Abraham was not a godly man, that Isaac was not a godly man, that Jacob was not a godly man. But I'm just here to tell you that they did not exemplify much of the time what a godly father ought to look like. And I think that as we work down through, if you start a study and reading through the book of Genesis, you will find many of the problems that they faced were due to a lack of following God's biblical role for a father and or a mother. Now, not necessarily going in that direction concerning our fathers tonight, but Genesis 25 is the story of two brothers, Jacob and Esau, two brothers which many would know who had a great deal of difficulty getting along. All the way from, we would say, the very beginning in the womb. You find them struggling. And, uh, and so here's the picture. Isaac, one of the patriarchs of the family and the promised son of Abraham, marries his wife, Rebekah, and they have twins, these two young men. The first two arrived was Esau. The, the scripture give us a depiction of him that he was red all over like a carpet. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I, it, it's super funny at this time when I preach uh, in this passage, the very first time, we actually, my, my uh, wife's younger sister is a twin, and she's uh, a redhead, and then her brother is, is not a redhead. And it was so funny that they were in the crowd at that time when I was preaching this, that they were both twins, and one of them was red all over. <laughs> but uh, that, I guess that's beside the point, too much information, but whatever. But the first one to arrive was that Esau. He was hairy all over. He was, he was red, if you will, red-haired all over. The second was Jacob. And Jacob was grasping the heel of Esau. And just in my weird twist in mind, I think he's saying this, no way, I'm getting out of this thing first, dude. And, 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 and the idea, and when we look through that, and as the story would go on, we would understand this, that really that heel grabber kind of paints a picture of this, a deceiver. Or someone that is a deceiver. And we would know this, that, that, that really Jacob was a crafty dude. I mean, he, I think the only one that really comes close to him would be his father-in-law Laban. In craftiness there. But the firstborn Esau was his father's favorite. He was the daddy's boy, we would say. Uh, Jacob was the mama's boy. He was the plain guy. He was the one that was just there with mommy. would hang out. And, 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 and we see those things. And as time passed along, uh, they began to grow. And Esau became a, a mighty hunter. Now, I can relate with Esau. I'm not going to claim tonight to be a mighty hunter. I'm a hunter. That, that's about all I do. I wish I could call myself a killer. Thanks for the pity laugh. But I like to hunt. I enjoy hunting. It's fun to get out. But that's most of my experience has just been hunting. <laughs> right? You got to find the animal and, and, and to harvest it. And, and so it says here that Esau was a mighty hunter. The, the idea or the picture that's painted was Esau was not just your average one of the mill weekend guy that went out just for fun. No, he was a skilled in his trade. His trade would have been that, a hunter. He, he was very good at what he did and he was skilled at it. And it even goes as far as to say that his dad enjoyed eating the meat that his son harvested. Now I want to take a side note here and say this. And maybe you'll understand this with me. Hunting then in their specific time where they're at specifically in life would have been very much like hunting for us today. 
you and I are not having to hunt to live off of that. Now, some may disagree and say, well, that was a totally different time. Well, no, listen, they had probably some of the greatest herds of sheep and cattle in their entire land. Esau was not hunting because they needed the food. And so I just wonder if this, and I'm not saying this is just my opinion taken from this, as we see here, I just wonder if Esau didn't go out to hunt to escape some of the responsibilities back at home. I think it could very well be, and I'm not going to be dogmatic or say that's exactly what the scripture says, but it may, may very well could be that he chose to do other things to the neglect of what he should have been doing. And so we, we see that, in, but we do know this for sure about Esau, that he was what we would call an impulsive type person. He, he's the one that Walmart sets up those aisles right at the cash register for. Right? They don't set those up for you parents. Those, they set those up for your children. Amen. They sure do. That is the, the fact. But Esau was he, was. he was impulsive. He was not one that we would say this. He thought of the choice that he was going to make very long. He, he didn't think of the consequences. I love the, the words, the phrase that, that Solomon uses in the book of Proverbs. He says this, ponder the path of thy life. What literally that means is this, roll out a map and think about this decision now and how it's going to affect me down here. Ponder that. Think through the path of life that you're going down. And I love that thought. And I'm going to say this, and I think it would be true. Esau was not one that pondered very far down his path. As we'll see here in just a moment. In fact, he thought that he would die if he didn't eat something at that very moment after a hunting trip he just got back from. Now, now I said earlier in the text that Esau was being dramatic, and I believe he was being dramatic because of this. It says he was a mighty hunter. A mighty hunter knows this. I'm going to need X amount of supplies for X amount of days on this hunting trip. Correct? I, I, I am a hunter, and, and I love to go out, but this is it. If I don't have food, if I don't have my pack, if I don't have my rifle or my bow, if I don't have certain essentials... I'm not going. Why? I won't survive. I like to eat. Esau went out. Maybe he had a, 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 a bad hunting experience. But I know this. He wasn't at the point to die. He's being extremely dramatic. Jacob, can you play Jacob? Jacob. I need some food, dude. I'm about to die. Sorry, I didn't want to make you feel uncomfortable. But, but that's the idea. I mean, that's the drama that was there when he entered into Jacob's tent. Jacob, I'm about to die. And, and he was, listen, he was willing to give up what he wanted most. What was most important to him for what he thought he needed in the moment. Now listen, he could have went, and, and please understand this, Jacob's tent was not the only tent in camp. He could have went three feet over to dad's tent. He could have went to the kitchen tent. 
He could have went to his cousin's tent or his uncle's tent or someone else's tent within the same walking distance of Jacob. But he went to Jacob and because Jacob wanted to offer him something or make a deal, he was willing at that very moment without any question, willing to give up what was most important to him for just a simple bean for what he wanted in the moment. He could have packed up and said, Jacob, I thought you were better than that. Hey, mom, can I get a bowl of soup? Because, listen, if he was unwilling to sacrifice what he held dearest to him. Now, now you say, well, why was that dear? Because the birthright was more than just a piece of paper. When you look in Scripture, the birthright was more than just a piece of paper. Number one, it really represents three, t- three things, and many think uh, others, but I think these are the three most important. It meant this, a superior rank in the family. It meant that you were number one. Uh, Number two, it meant a double portion of the parental inheritance when your parents passed away. Uh, A double portion. So let's just put it this way. If there was four children in the family, four children would get their four portions, but the eldest would get two portions. I mean, it, it meant something. It also meant this, that they had the priestly office in the family, that responsibility then of taking the mantle, if you will, from their father when their father passed on. They would step into that God-given role of being the priest of the home and guiding that family spiritually for the next generation. And so it was more than just a, a simple, flippant piece of paper. It wasn't something that he ought to just give away for the cost of a bean. It was something that was was highly important, highly valuable. Listen, but that is exactly what Esau did. Isaac's favorite son. He he could have simply just walked over to the other tent, we said. But he did not because he wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. Because of his stubbornness, hard-headedness. But we might even go as far as to say this because of his lack of character. See, we kind of get the sense from his life that he lived in the moment. And I'm telling you, can, can I help you here this evening? I, I believe this would be a fair estimation to say this. For people who live in the moment base their entire life off of emotions. And when they base their entire life off emotions and living in the moment, my friends, it's what you've heard the phrase called an emotional roller coaster. And very rarely is there stable ground to just cruise, if you will. And so he was that individual who lived for the next best thing, trading the most valuable thing for a pot of beans, perhaps maybe other than the apple in the garden, the most expensive meal you will find in the Bible. So you know Esau is not the only guy, though, who has paid too much for some stew. If I can just give you a couple thoughts here. I do believe it's fair to say that people have this same tendency throughout history. But let me just give you a few examples that, that may hit close to home. There are some men and women, for that matter, who have paid for their career with their family. Everybody awake here this evening? I think I can say this because I live in a very similar area and I'm very thankful for the oil field work. I'm thankful for the, the higher wages that it provides to those who work there. But I'm also very cognizant of this. Some people pay for their family with that job. 
And they are not the dad that they should be, nor are they the mother that they should be, nor can they have the marriage or the family that they should have because they're over there. They've paid. Listen, listen, this, this is true. They have paid for their career with their family. They allow their career to literally take everything that they have. No effort then, no energy or time is left to number one, develop an intimate relationship with the Lord or to develop a marriage because my friends, marriage takes work. Nobody's willing to admit that? I'll admit it. It takes work. Or to train up children. That takes work work if I can even say it this way as well and preach it to myself there's been some pastors who have paid for their ministry with their family and I recognize being a pastor means this that we make uh, sometimes more sacrifices uh, than not but listen here family is not one of them and I would hope, and your pastor doesn't know I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it so he can hear it just the first time everybody else did. Don't make your pastor sacrifice his family. Because I believe this would be true, and we could go to the biblical qualifications of a pastor and see this. If he is, cannot care for his family and pastor his family, he has no business being up here. And so that is not one thing, uh, that is not one sacrifice that as a pastor he should make is his family. Not at all. But there's been some that have. There's some men and women who pay for a moment of pleasure with their marriage. The truth is adultery often costs more than just a marriage. A lot of times it costs two marriages, and it always costs the children. Some have given up their inheritance and God's blessings for a moment of pleasure in pornography, which costs far more than people will ever want to admit. Women have sold their inheritance because their husband was not showing them the affection that they needed, and they gave their inheritance away for a moment of pleasure somewhere else. Many, including those in ministry, have given up their inheritance because of the pleasure of money that it seemingly brings. They, they have given themselves to, to making money at any cost to, to enjoy those pleasurable things of life. And the cost is the family, it's the kids, it's their character, it's their friendships, it's their relationship with God, it's their faithful church attendance. I even think of the young people in here, the teens and, and even younger. I think some of those young adults who wind up paying far too much for a moment of closeness and they sell their virginity for what amounts to a pot of beans. They feel as though they're starving and they impulsively sell one of God's greatest gifts to them to someone who does not deserve it. You see, Esau undervalued what was most important and undervalued something that really had, excuse me, I said that backwards. Esau undervalued what was most important and overvalued something that had little to no value. See, blessings from God here or a moment's pleasure. That's what most people think. 
But I'm telling you here, it's this way. See, when we put it in this regard, if we had the, the balance and the scale, blessings from God in a moment of pleasure, most of us would say, Pastor, it's a, it's a no-brainer, blessings from God. Well, if it's a no-brainer, then why is it so many Christians get what they want but lose what they had? If it's a no-brainer, then why do so many Christians get what they want but lose what they had? I think this could possibly be part of it. When we are so focused on the immediate problems we begin to forget our long-term obligations to the Lord. To Christ and to our families. We make self-destructive decisions. Folks, you, you and I had better check out what is really important to us and what we really see as valuable in our lives and take it seriously before we make a self-destructive decision. I'm going to give you two simple things here tonight. Two very simple things. This is nothing new. It's not going to blow your mind. It's very simple. What then, if there's things that we need to value, what then, I'm going to say the two, what are the two most valuable things that we have? If we need to place value on those, and if we don't want to make a mistake like Esau did, and say, man, I'm not going to undervalue that which is valuable and overvalue that which has no value, then I need to determine what then is valuable in my life. Does that make sense? It's just a logical process to work through. I would say number one is this, and you ought to agree with me. First, it must be your relationship with God is the most, and how would we say this? The most goodest, bestest, wonderfulest, awesomest, most valuablest thing that you have. That, that covered all the bases, didn't it? That's number one. Number one. Your relationship with God. Because if that is not number one, then nothing else will be in order where it's supposed to be. But when he is number one, you can then have things in order in your life. And so number one is your relationship with God. I'm saying that you need to look at things which distract you from him, that which puts water on the fire, that which quenches, as we would say, your love for him, that which takes away time from you spending with him. Those things then must be dealt with. If that's number one, then I need to remove everything else and say this is number one, and from there I will work my way down. Okay, if he's number one, then that means that I need to spend time with him. Okay, well, what takes my time? Well, open up your schedule. I brought my little, my little booklet I use here. It's my to-do list, my prayer list, my, my church, to, with basically ministry on this side and personal on this side with one deviation on that box right there. But basically, it's the prayer requests I have. And then church to-do. I've got a church to-do list. There's lots of church to-dos, Amen. 
Then we've got a world missions list. What, what's going on with our missionaries? How can I pray for them? Are they got special projects going on? And, and then also I just have a, a, a list of five. We support 82 missionaries right now. And so I have a list of five that I just pray through every single week. One missionary a day. And, and then also have a people to visit list in our community. Who are some recent contacts that I made with or who needs to go be visited. And then I've got a home to do. And so I can look here and I can look at this. And this is basically my schedule. Then I've got a weekly schedule at the bottom. And I can look at this and I say, okay, here's where all my time is going to. Where can I fit the Lord in? No, wait a minute. That's wrong. Here's my time with God. What else can I fit in? See, we've got that mentality. Okay, this is all I got to do. Where can I fit the Lord in here? No, no, no. Start with him, number one. He, he, he isn't just number one on your list. He is your list. And then go from there. What else can I work in then? Well, what else can I do today? Because I'm telling you, you will be far more effective if you spend time with him every single day and you will still manage to get everything else you need to get done. How does it work? I'm not real sure, but he allows it to happen. It's just like when you give, and you give that last $20 to the tithe, and you're like, man, I don't know what else is going to take place. It is, is it not amazing? And probably some of you had those same testimonies where God just provides what you needed because you didn't have it, but you were faithful to give what you had. And God just made up the rest. I can't explain all of it, but I do know this. Jesus needs to be number one in your life. Do not sacrifice the most valuable thing for what you want in the moment. What do you want in that moment? Snooze button. No, I like eight more minutes of sleep. How do you know it's eight minutes? Because I have an iPhone, and iPhone is programmed for eight minutes of snooze time. How do you know eight minutes? Because I usually, you can ask my wife, I'm not necessarily a morning person, and so I have a, a routine every morning if I need to get up, let's say at 7 o'clock, my first alarm is going to go off at about 6 o'clock. And then progressively, 6.15, 6.25. And then once I get to about 6.30, it drops down to five-minute increments. Right? I just, it's a process. I don't know why. That's just the way my brain works. Because this is it, I don't hear the first 10 of them. <laughs> she turns them off. And then finally, when they start going off every two minutes, I hear them. That's just the way I work. But listen, we've got to spend time with him. And those things that, that I enjoy, I enjoy sleep, I enjoy food, I enjoy uh, play, uh, playing and, and having a good time. I, I enjoy working on my, my truck. I enjoy uh, sometimes doing yard work. I, I enjoy some of these things. But listen, I'm not going to enjoy those things at the expense or to the neglect of my time with God. You can't. Don't, don't give up what you really want most is Him for what you want in that moment. You know, there's a lot of contributing factors. I could go down a laundry list of things. What you watch on TV, what you watch on your computer, what's on your phone, social media. Uh, uh, all may be a part of the things that are, are taking apart or separating or putting a wedge between you and the Lord. What you do with your body or, or in your mind uh, may be a part of it. How you spend your money may very well be a part of it. The words that you use. I, I believe even this, motivations have a lot to do with it because you can do good things with the wrong motivations. 
But you can also do what we would term as not necessarily godly things like mowing the lawn or washing the dishes to his glory also. Keep him first. So let's go back to the very beginning. Esau undervalued what was valuable and he overvalued what was not valuable. So number one most valuable thing in your life is your relationship with God. Number two is this, your family. You say, well, all I have is a wife. That's your family. Family. That's number two. And some may argue with me and I would just take them here to the book of Genesis. It's a book about generations. It's a book about a family. Did you know that from Genesis chapter number 12 to Revelations is legitimately a story of one man and his family? Abraham and his descendants. From Genesis 12 on, it's one man and his family. Go ahead, read it if you didn't know it. It's true. And it's a pretty cool story. I mean, he's got a pretty big family. And uh, it's where the song comes from. It, it, Father Abraham, though it drives me absolutely batty. But your family, your spouse, your kids... Can I say it this way? And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to come in and, and as, as the old term does a, 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 an, of an evangelist, he comes on and tears things up and then leaves. I, I don't want to do that. I want to be a blessing to you, but I'm also not going to not preach what may be a help to you, even if it may possibly be hard to hear. Your family is more important than your job. I'm not saying here, please hear me out, because I am a firm believer, that the, and in the scripture will confirm it. If you do not work, you should not eat. And so I'm not saying this, go tomorrow morning and resign from your job so you can spend all the time with your family. No, you'll be, as the Bible calls, an infidel if you don't provide for them. No, so I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying this, don't sacrifice your family on the altar of work. They are, should be, the number two most valuable thing in your life is your family. Your wife and your children, your husband and your children, do not sacrifice them. They are far more important than your job. And this is, as we said, don't go quit your job tomorrow. Please don't do that. I hope you don't do that. But you need to make time for your family. Make time for your family, please. I'm going to say it again. Make time for your family. Don't, don't look at your schedule like we said a minute ago and say, where can I fit family time in? No, I think after God comes family. I think you need to be purposeful and intentional in the time that you spend with your family. I know it's difficult. I, I, I come from uh, this. I, I, I'm in the ministry, and ministry at times can be extremely demanding. We just came off of two weeks that were probably some of the, probably the two busiest weeks we've had since day one of ministry. I mean, it just seemed we had a revival going on and guest preacher in and, 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 and three different activities at the church and a youth fundraiser. And, and it just, when we got to the end of the week, I was just like, <sighs> I mean, I was done. But we still needed, we still needed some time. And, and so you've got to make that time with your family. See, you need to make that time, not just hope you will find time, 
No, no, make the time. And you wonder, even as I mentioned earlier, Esau was the hunter, but irresponsible at that. And I just wonder if some guys maybe in here, or whatever it may be, use their hobby, hunting, fishing, golfing, sports interests, whatever it may be, to avoid time with family. No, don't, please don't be like that. Truth is, I've never once heard anybody say this on their deathbed. Man, I wish I would have spent more time at work. But I have heard this. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have spent more time in the formative years of my children's life. I wish I would have taken the time to uh, go play catch with my son or, or, or have a tea party with my daughter. No, it's okay, men, to have a tea party with your daughter. I'm just going to let you know. I'm, I'm a Baptist man as they come. On the verge of redneck. But if the Lord ever gives me a chance to have a tea party with a, with, with a, a little girl in my future, you better believe I'm going to be there for tea time. Pinky out and all. Why? Because I value my family I just wonder where we're at tonight I don't know you I have no idea I've met some of you tonight the best I can say is this I know your names and now I know your faces but you and the Lord know exactly where you stand this evening and I would hope and I would pray and I would encourage you it's never too late to start afresh. Maybe you've heard some things that have pricked the heart and you're like, man, I need to work on this area. There's still time. There's still time. You can start afresh. You can start today and say, you know what? I'm going to start doing things differently. You know what? I'm going to start making time for my little girls. I'm going to start making time for my wife. I'm going to start making time with my little boys. I'm going to start making, can I even go this? I'm going to start making time with Jesus because that's number one. And if I get Jesus in his rightful place, then I will want to spend time with my wife. I will want to spend time with my children. I will want to do those things. You don't have to be a slave to your passions throughout your life. And you may even say, preacher, I, how do you do this? Well, number one is this. There's 66 books that are collected in what we call Bible. And it's holy. And it's perfect. It's inerrant. It's infallible. I love the word infallible because it means this. It is incapable of making a mistake. Oh, that's just cool. I don't know. That, that, that ought to excite you. If that doesn't excite you, your exciter's broken. This isn't just like any other book. In fact, it deals with the family from front to back. Every life issue you will go through is dealt with here. Maybe not specifically but indirectly, there are principles that apply to every aspect of your life. And so I want to encourage you, keep Jesus number one. If he's not number one, make him number one. He's the most valuable thing in your life. Number two, when he's in his rightful place, your family is right there. Place high value on Jesus and your family. And listen, my friends, don't give up what you want most for what you want in the moment. Because realize you're sacrificing a relationship with the Lord and you're sacrificing your family.